Pashas Mishpatim, dedicated by the family, by their friend and colleague, David Wicks, Zichrodo Libracha, in advance of his second year of Zeit. The Pasha Mishpatim, this week's Pasha, comes in between the parsha of Yitro, which is the parsha of Matan Torah, and ends, the parsha of Mishpatim, ends with the story of Moshe Rabbeinu going up on Har Sinai to get the Torah. In other words, you have to remember that the parsha of Yitro, everybody was the recipient of something of the Torah. And that something was Aserita Dibrot. In fact, Chazal say that B'nai Yisrael did not hear all of the Aserat Debrot when Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain, but he only heard two of the Debrot. They, they heard two of the Debrot. The rest of the Debrot they learned from Moshe Rabbeinu when he came down from Har Sinai. And then, shortly thereafter, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai again to get the entire Torah. But this is like a little bit... A little bit confusing. Um, actually, getting the Torah is not the same as teaching the Torah. It was while Moshe Rabbeinu was on Har Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, and I guess he learned the entire Torah, but we don't know what that is. Right, the Ramban, the Ramban states categorically in his introduction to this commentary on the Torah, that, that Moshe Rabbeinu Har Sinai also received the, not only the Torah Peh of the Nigleh, of the obvious Torah, the Torah that we learn, but he also received the Torah Peh of the Nistar. And the, by the Nistar he refers to Kabbalah. That there was a, a Kabbalah, a Torah of Kabbalah, which was hidden. Hidden meaning that it did not become the property of the general populace, but it was the property of those who are invested in that kind of learning. So according to the Ramban, when Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai, he received the Torah Shavalpeh of the Nigleh. Now what, what does Torah Shavalpeh of the Nigleh mean? Well, it is always a Torah Shavalpeh. Right? I mean, if you've ever tried to read a text in a foreign language, in another language, other language that you don't know, by looking up all the words in a dictionary, you would find that you basically wouldn't understand it when you were finished. It, it was understanding is a little more difficult than just translating words. So understanding is Torah Shabbat It's It's the way you get into it. It's the way you, you learn it. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu eventually had to teach B'nai Yisrael. That's the, the tradition, that Moshe Rabbeinu was a teacher. He didn't just get the Torah in heaven and give it out in paper black version, you know, to all the, all the Jews. He had to teach it to them because he was the only one who really understood it. Even though everybody understood Hebrew, I guess. I mean, in Mitzrayim they spoke Chazal said they continue to speak Hebrew, which actually makes sense. 
I mean, to me, anyway, it makes sense that they continue to, that the last bastion of separateness is the language you brought from home. And so B'nai Yisrael, who were able to stick together because they lived in the land of Goshen, Chazal said that they spoke Hebrew. It makes sense to say that they, they spoke Hebrew. So I'm telling you all of this because you have to understand you have to understand that B'nai Yisrael kept getting into the Torah in these parashiyot. They kept getting, getting learning more about the Torah as you go along. Because in order to receive the Torah, and I think I pointed this out on more than one occasion, in order to receive the Torah, you had to know the Torah. You can't receive something that you don't, that's a mystery to you. I mean, you can't receive a Torah written in a language that you don't understand. And you can't receive the Torah in a language that you do understand if you don't understand it. So the parasha of Mishpatim, the parasha of Mishpatim, now we say it sort of stands in between the Aseret HaDibrot parasha, which is Yitro, and the receiving the 40 days and 40 nights receiving the Torah on Har Sinai by Moshe Rabbeinu, which is at the end of at the end of the parasha of Mishpatim. Okay? You got it? So in between these two things, in between these two things, the Matan Torah of the parasha of Yitro and the Matan Torah of the parasha of Mishpatim is the parasha of Mishpatim. Is the parasha of Mishpatim. What is the parasha of Mishpatim? It's a collection of laws. It's a collection of laws on odd topics. Odd meaning, I mean by that, that they don't necessarily have anything to do with each other, these odd topics, but they generally have a lot to do with Bein Adam Lechavero. Generally. They have to do with Bein Adam Lechavero. They are halachot that are connected to human interactions. The human interactions. Now, in general, if you ask me why those parashiyot are there, I would say because you had to know the Torah in order to receive the Torah. In other words, you didn't have to know the Torah to receive the first two dibrot, I am the Lord your God and you should not make another God. I think that they understood without special preparation because they, they, they lived in that world. That was the world of Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov. It was the world they lived in, so that it was sort of like validated. There was a validation of something that they already knew. But the halachot in Mishpatim, I'm not sure they knew. I'm not sure they knew them at all. For example, the, the laws of Evidivri, right? Who said they knew those laws before they were taught by Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu, in between, Yitro and the end of Mishpatim teaches them Mishpatim. And the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu teaches them Mishpatim is in order that they should be able to say, yes, we know the Torah, we want the Torah. Right? Which they said in that special way, Naasev Nishma. Naasev Nishma means we'll do what the Torah wants us to do, even if we don't know what it is yet. Right now, say, we will do it. Vinishman, we'll hear, we, we, we are open to the idea that there are more directives that we don't yet know about. That's what B'nai Yisrael said to Moshe Rabbeinu. So this being said, this being said, there is one 
question that we have not answered about the parashat mishpatim, and that is why these specific mitzvot? Why is this the information that was deemed so important for B'nai Yisrael that it make them ready to uh, accept the Torah? Ready to accept the Torah. Okay? Now, as a footnote, I would add that at the end of the parasha of Bishalach, Shmos Va'era Bo Bishalach, right? Shmos and Va'era about, uh, you know, getting ready for Yitziat Mitzrayim. Bo, more Makot, Bishalach, they're running out of, out of Eretz Mitzrayim. Shemos Ve'era Bo Bishalach. Bishalach is the parasha when they leave Mitzrayim, Shirat Hayam, and it's the parasha in which it says, Sham Sam Lo, Choku Mishpat Bisham Nisau, that already Chazal said that there was sort of like, there was some halachot that were taught to B'nai Yisrael on the way, before they came to Har Sinai, before they came to Sinai. The other thing I, I want you to know is, or to remember, that in the parashat B'Shalach, you have parashat Aman. Parashat Aman. Man, what is parashat Aman? What is parashat Aman? I mean, I know it's the parashat about the man, but what is parashat Aman? It's about Shabbat. It's about Shabbat. Now, according to the, about Shabbat, because you could collect, you have to collect twice as much on Friday and not collect anything on Shabbat. And as you know, it was very hard to overcome the desire, right, to hoard food. I mean, everybody, all Jews are hoarders, even those Jews. They, and they didn't believe Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, look, you take twice as much on Friday, don't worry, there'll be enough, and you won't have, you won't have to collect on Shabbat. And they found that difficult. They found it difficult. They say, okay, we'll take twice as much, but what if we take three times as much? I mean, what terrible thing could happen? What terrible thing could happen to us? So they didn't, they didn't understand why. But, but that's the story of Shabbat, right? That's the story about Shabbat. What is Shabbat? What is Shabbat? It's, it's the day on which we commemorate or we kind of declare that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. Now, even though in Breshit, in Breshit it already says that, uh, that God created the world, and that we should have, we had no idea of how to commemorate it, because there's nothing we could do, there's no way that we could possibly imitate God. Usually when you have a, a memory of something, you try to imitate whatever it was that happened, but there was no way for us to do that until the man came along. Until the man came along. So the man, the, the man was, God said to B'nai Israel, this is how you keep Shabbat. This is how you keep Shabbat. So B'nai Israel says, but this has nothing to do with creation. So God said, doesn't matter. This is it. This is how you declare your allegiance to the God who created the world. That's how you do it. You cook on Friday and you eat on Shabbos. Now, could we could we come up with that kind of thing on our own? Certainly not. We would never be able to do that. There would no no way that any person with any sort of reasonable outlook on things uh, charged with the question of how are we going to commemorate our allegiance to God is no way that he would say cook on Friday and 
a need on Shabbos. But if HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, this is how you commemorate Shabbos, that's fine. So that, that the need that B'nai Yisrael, according to the Chumash, when you look at the Chumash in order, where the Chumash says, in order for B'nai Yisrael to be the proper recipients of the Torah, they had to have Yitziat Mitzrayim, for whatever reason, we've talked about that, but they also had to know Torah, something, they had to know something in the Torah to be able to sell it, say, okay, we accept the Torah, the part that we know, and the part that we don't know. If you know something, you can assume that the, and you, you deem it worthy, I guess you could assume that what you don't know is also worthy. So that's what they said. They said, meaning we know enough of the Torah to be able to accept whatever you bring us, Moshe Rabbeinu. And, and, uh, and that's one thing that there had to be at Har Sinai. But the other thing that had to be was they had to be able to express their religious devotion, the religious devotion they learned from Avram Avinu, that God alone was the God who created the universe and who had promised B'nai Yisrael these two great promises, Eretz Canaan and, uh, and the tremendous uh, uh, Zera, right? Seeds, a tremendous seed that would be come out of them eventually. And so they needed Shabbos. They had to go to Har Sinai. I'll tell you the story in the Chumash. I'm just telling you the story. It's like a, an art scroll story. Except I'll tell a joke here and there. Art scroll, there are no jokes. The, uh, they had to be, they had to have Shabbos in order to, it was, they, they had to stand before God. So standing before God, they had to know something about God. They had to be able to express that something about God that, that they knew, which was that God created the world and that God was the unique God. And that's what Shabbos is about. That's what, that's what they did, that's what they did on Shabbos. And that enabled them, it enabled them to prepare themselves to coming to Har Sinai. So they had Shabbos, they had Torah, right? And they had a little more Torah that they learned before, Shabbat Lachok Mishpat. They had Shabbos, they had Torah, and they were ready to, uh, to accept the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Har Sinai after 40 days and 40 nights. And this could be, and, and this included, certainly included, according to Chazal, the Torah Shabbat Peh, by Torah Shabbat Peh, I always thought it meant, I always thought it meant the meaning of the possible. The meaning of the possible, that when you learn from a teacher, when you learn from a teacher, even though you're all speaking the same language, you have the impression sometimes, or often, that even on the most elementary level, that the teacher understands the text a lot better. It's always true that the teacher probably knows things about the text that you don't know because that's the way of the world. Like you go at it for a long time, you know all kinds of things. But the teacher, if he's a good teacher or she's a good teacher, he reads better. You know, you ever hear that idea? Like he really reads really, really well. Really well, that's always a problem in learning Gemara. The only problem in learning Gemara, there are a lot of people who know what it's about, but they have trouble reading it really well. They don't get, you don't get much out of, the, out of the words. But you know, maybe, Maybe it's better today. Art scroll and Koran, you know, they, they actually tell you what the words mean, which is good. I mean, I think it's good. If you have the patience and the self-discipline to go through it, 
with those with those eight. So the end. What I'm saying now is, all we have left to decide to figure out is, all we have to figure out is why the Torah of Mishpatim was chosen to be the Torah that B'nai Yisrael would have in hand when Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah at Har Sinai. Right? That, that, there's a series uh, of, of psukim. So we're going to take a particular topic. We're going to take a particular topic and that topic is Ayin Tachat Ayin. That's the topic. Right? Ayin Tachat Ayin. So, the Pasuk says, I'm reading from the sheet now. Two people, two men have a, have a kind of a dispute, I guess. And they accidentally, I guess, beat up on a pregnant woman, and her, uh, I don't know, whatever comes out, the fetuses or ch- childbirth. The Pasuk says, no great uh, tragedy. The guy who did it should be punished. You know, in Hebrew, very often there is this duplicated use of a verb, right? Which, when I was a kid, they told me that's to have influence. That's a. What, what is it? Emphasis. What, what's the word? Emphasis. Oh, emphasis. Yeah, emphasis. I'm a big opponent of the word <coughs> emphasis. I always felt that it really meant I don't know. I still feel the same way. I feel the same way. I mean, but then when I came across in the Torah, it says very often, not very often, but often enough, mot yumat. Mot yumat. You should die verily. Verily is also a good word. <laughs> Only English understand what that means. But so Americans use it when they want to sound clever. Verily. Very, you imagine there's a difference between verily dead and being just dead? Or, or uh, sakol yisakel. There's a difference between having stones rain down upon you and having them verily rain down upon you. I can't imagine that there's much of a difference. Well, wow, that's terrific. Louis Armstrong. <laughs> that was his last time he did it. That's <laughs> pretty good. Okay. Anoshi whatever that means, he'll be punished. Okay, the Natan Beplilim, if you look at the Rashi, Rashi says, Alpi Hadayanim. Plilim, it's like, uh, that's what Rashi says. He doesn't quote, he doesn't quote a source or something. So, if you go back to the beginning of the Rashi, you see Rashi says, So there's a question whenever you do damage, did you intend to do the damage that was done? Or was it done inadvertently? Right? Inadvertently. So if you skip down to Anoshe Anesh, Lishalem Demevladot La Baal, Shaminoto Kamathaita Uyali Mafer Bashuk, La Lot Vitameha Bishvil Heriona, 
So again, the Rashi here points to something which in the Gemara is very common. How do you know? How do you know damage? How do you evaluate damage? So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, let's say you damaged a person. You did it to a person, you did it to a woman, you did it to the children. How do you damage it? Well, you go to the shuk where they buy slaves. And you say, how much is this person, a man, a woman, a pregnant woman, how much are they worth on the market if somebody wanted to buy them as a slave? And how much are they worth now, now that they are damaged? And that differential is called nezek. That differential is called nezek, and that's the payment that you have to make when you do something, when you do something wrong. So, uh, if you go to the next pasuk, next pasuk says, So, there is a, a, a regulation here, nefesh tachat nefesh. Nefesh tachat nefesh. You look at Rashi. Nefesh tachat nefesh is a dead person for a dead person. If you kill somebody, so you get killed. That's nefesh tachat nefesh. One in exchange for the other. Rashi says, Rabotenu cholkim badabar. Rabotenu cholkim badabar. Now this is not a very surprising thing in the Gemara. Anybody who learns Gemara knows that it is replete with differences of opinion. There's almost no issue in the Gemara that is not contested. So when, when, when Rashi says Rabotenu cholkim badabar, he means perfectly normal, perfectly reasonable. Yeshorim Nefesh mesh, nefesh mamash. There are those who say that the pasuk nefesh tachat nefesh means you take a soul for a soul. You take a person for a person. He killed somebody, you kill him. V'yesh omrim mamon. V'yesh omrim mamon. Yesh omrim mamon. Avalo nefesh mamash. So there's a Torah shebichtav and a Torah shebalpeh. The Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat. The Torah Shabbat is Nefesh Tarat Nefesh. According to that opinion, this is Torah Shabbat. And the Torah Shabbat is also Nefesh Tarat Nefesh. But according to the other opinion, the, the, uh, the Torah Shabbat is Nefesh Tarat Nefesh. But the Torah Shabbat is Mamon. So, of course, the question is. Well, why doesn't the Torah just tell you, Mamon, according to that opinion? Why does the Torah say, pay money, tachat nefesh? Why does the Torah say, nefesh, tachat nefesh, and I have to figure out that the Torah doesn't mean it? What's the point? What's the point of doing all of that? So if you look at the Ibn Ezra, right next to, next to the Rashi, if we look at the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra says, Ayin, Omar of Sa'adya, of Sa'adya, was a Gaon, a Gaon is means Rashi Shiva, in Bavel, in the 9th and 10th centuries. He was an outstanding scholar. <laughs> People say that. Is that whether, I, mean, I don't mean that I know that he was an outstanding scholar. <laughs> what I mean is only that his literary work is still used today and is, uh, and is learned today very, very uh, seriously. So I assume that he was pretty serious. He, Rav Sadiago, serious person, quoted by all those who followed him. So he says, listen, he says, Lo nuchal lefaresh zeha pasuk ki mashma'o. 
We can't possibly explain this pasuk, which is ayin tachadayin. But I didn't read the pasuk. Right, pasuk of Dalit. Look at the pasuk quickly. Ayin tachadayin, chain tachadayin, yad tachadayin, dragal tachadragal. You see that? I mean, so that pasuk is a difficult pasuk because we don't know why we need so many examples. We don't know exactly what the pasuk means according to the Gemara. So listen to what the Rasadya says. It's impossible to, to explain the Pasuk literally. You can't. If a person damages his fellow's eye, right? Visara shlishit or enav. And he loses a third of his sight. You go to a doctor, and the doctor says, Oh, a third of his sight is gone. So, how is it possible that we could punish the person who did it in the exact same way that he created the damage? So, if the damage he created was that he caused Ruvain caused Shimon to lose a third of his sight. The Bezdin would have to come and take Ruvain and say, We're now going to remove a third of your sight. So Rapsadyagon says, Impossible. Impossible. So, what is it that Rapsadyagon is helping us with? What is he helping us with? It has to be metaphorical. It has to, has to be what? Metaphorical. Well, it's not metaphorical, it's literal. Is that what Rav Sadiqot he says? He says the, the the person who says in the Gemara that Ayatachadayin means mamash, him I don't understand. I don't understand that at all because you can't do it. So the word who says Ayatachadayin is mamon, him I understand. I understand because you can't actually do to the other person what he did. So we're left with the question, of course, left with the question, so why does the Torah say Ayatagadayat? I mean, certainly Rapsadya, it's Rapsadya's right, and the Gemara indicates this, and all the other Farshim say the same thing. How could you possibly imagine? How could you possibly imagine that you could do to him what he did to the, to the other guy? How could you imagine? Also, how about a case like this? A, a person is blind in one eye. A person blind in one eye, and then the the chovel, the the damager, knocks out the other guy, the the other eye, and now he's totally blind. The Torah says, "I entachadayin." So if I knock out one eye of the guy who did it, he's not going to be blind. So so it's sort of like impossible. It's impossible to do I entachadayin, and therefore Reb Sadiyagon says that clearly. The only solution to the problem is mamon. It's got to be. It's got to be mamon. Now look, uh, right? Ulai up at the end of the third line in the in the Ibn Ezra. Ulai achshich or enokulo. Maybe maybe you'll, you won't be able to see anything at all. Vioter kasheh kviya vapetza vachabura. There is in the third pasuk, pasuk kafei. You see, pasuk kafei. It says kviyat which is usually interpreted as a burn, petza tachet patza, some kind of a wound, and chabura tachet chabura, another kind of a wound. Right? These are the, so they're all included. They're all included in this statement that the Torah makes, and then he goes on and says, yoter kashek kviyat, va petza, va chabura. 
כי אם היו במקום מסוכן, אולי ימות, אם We can't. 
We can't, there are limits. There are limits to our perception of reality which prevent us from doing what we think we should be doing. So here's the Torah, which is about to be given to B'day Yisrael. And what do they say? In the, what does the Torah say in these psukim? What does the Torah say in these psukim? Ayin tachad ayin. Mamon. Ayin tachad ayin means midah keneged midah, which is what it should be. But you understand, as Rav Sadia Gaon explained, as Rav Sadia Gaon said, you can't do that. You can't do ayin tachad ayin. Because there are too many limits that are placed upon you, too many inabilities that you have to be able to, to uh, uh, do it in a way that is absolutely, absolutely perfect and that does not deny the Tzalem Elohim of the other person. So if you look uh, quickly at the Rambam, turn the page, you see the Rambam at the bottom, the Rambam there at the bottom, the Rambam says... Hilchot Chovel Mazik Perik Aleph. You see the Rabbim Hilchot Chovel Mazik Perik Aleph. We'll go quickly through these halachot. Chovel b'chaviro chayav d'shalem lo chamishad varim nezik b'tzara b'ripui b'shevet d'boshet. This is the basic halacha of torts that you have to pay five payments, right? Nezik b'tzara ripui shevet uboshet. Shevet is unemployment insurance. And Boshet is embarrassment that you may have because of what happened to you. You have to pay metap. You, you have to pay it with good stuff, good quality. Not just not enough to pay the amount, but you have to pay the amount in a negotiable form. And then uh, he discusses... Uh, Okay, we'll, we'll go through it. Nezer Ketzad. Shem katay yad chaveiro raglo. If you cut off somebody's arm or leg. Ro'im oto ki'iluhu eved nimkar bashuk. You take him, you say, how much would he have brought as a slave in the slave market? Kama haya yafeh, v'kama hu yafeh How much was he worth then? And how much is he worth now? U'mishalem hapchat shevchit midabah. And you pay the difference. So if he was worth 100, as if he would be sold as a slave, and now he's worth 80, so you pay 20. That's called Nezek, uh, etc. Gimel, halacha Gimel. Zeshe ne'mar b'torah, kashayi tein mum ba'adam, kenyi ne'tein bo, e'nolach bo ba'zeh, kemi she'chaval b'chavero. It doesn't mean that you have to damage him in the same way that he damaged somebody else. But it just says that he's, he should have been punished this way, but instead we're going to just pay money. Etc. Right? Dalit. Dalit. And so you have to pay what you what he deserves to get paid, the Rabbi says. And now we're up to Halach above, which is where I wanted to be at the beginning, but we'll, we got there this way. Halach above, Hilchot Chovel Umazik, the Rabbim. Afalpi, Shedvarim Elu, Nir Im, Meinyan Torashe Bechtav, Kulan, Meforashin Hain, Mepi Moshe, 
Mehar Sinai. He says, even though it may seem to you that the words of the Torah are perfectly clear, and we should do what the Torah says, but for Rashinheim, they were further interpreted or explained. Mipi Moshe Mehar Sinai Vikulan Halacha Lemaase Hain Biyadenu. And they all turned out the way Moshe Rabbeinu taught it to us. That's the halacha. Uchezera uavoteinu. Danim bebeitino shel Yehoshua. This is the way our forefathers received the pasuk, the information. Bebeitino shel Yehoshua. Bebeitino shel Shmuel Haramati. Shmuel Haramati, Shmuel Hanavi. So the Rambam adds something that he doesn't usually do, an editorial comment in the Sefer Halacha called Mishneh Torah. And he says, yes, I know that that's what the Pesach says, but you should know that every Beit Din from the time of Yoshua bin Nun and Shmuel Aramati until our own time, all validated the fact that the real meaning of the Pasuk is Mamon. <coughs> that the real meaning of the Pasuk is Mamon. And then he says something similar. If you look at the, the, this quote of the, uh, of the, of the um, Guide for the Perplexed, if you look at the English text here, three, four, five lines from the bottom. No. Uh, I mean, you should look at it. You must not raise an objection from our practice of imposing a fine in such cases. So there are cases where even where there's somebody was killed. For we, in the Talmud, I have, however, an explanation for the interpretation given the Talmud, but it will be communicated viva voce, if you know Italian, I guess. Injuries that cannot be reproduced exactly in another person are compensated for by payment. Only he should pay for the loss of his time. He should cause him to be thoroughly healed. So he says, he repeats the words of the Ibn Ezra. He repeats what the Ibn Ezra taught us, that since you can't do it, you pay money. Since you can't do it, you pay money. By paying money, it's only an approximation. But as the Rabbah said, this is the way Moshe Rabbeinu taught us. This is what we are supposed to do. This is how we achieve the Midok and Eged Midah. So what I said was, just like Shabbos, so to, so to Nizikin. Just like Shabbos. Just like Shabbos, we wouldn't know how to keep Shabbos if HaKadosh Baruch didn't tell us how to do it, or how to, do, how to keep Shabbos. It's the Pesach. The Pesach says, Vayavorech. As Yom Shabbos Vayikadesh Vayivorech Vayikadesh, Rashi says, "Berchobaman veKitchobaman." So that Rashi says, the pshat in the pasuk is like Rashi sitting there, you know, in the in the Beit Hatfutzot, you know, Rashi sitting there on that desk that he has, and he's he's saying, "What are we going to do with this pasuk?" I mean, we don't see the bercho and the kitcho. So, so they were talking about it, and Rashi said, Bercho Baman, Kidjo Baman. That's what Rashi says in Perak, the end of Perak, or the beginning of Perak Bay's embraces. Bercho Baman, Kidjo Baman. That means these words, 
<coughs> that are so difficult for us to understand with these words. Which words? Bercho Vikicho. I mean, we've got to look around, look for it. Where's the Bercho? Where's the Kicho? So the answer is that this was it re it designed by Akarish Bochu into man. And once it was into man, we understand what Bercho is. Bercho is twice as much on two on Friday, that's Brocha. You get twice as much. Every day there's only enough for one portion for everybody in the Machane. Friday, there's enough for, uh, for, two, for two portions. Friday at Shabbos for everybody. So that's Bercho Baman. And what's Kicho Baman? Kicho Baman is Shabbos, no man. It's not there. You can look for it all you want, you're not going to find it. So this is something that the Torah taught us about Shabbos. You ought to keep Shabbos? Belechet HaMishkan. Belechet HaMishkan. You ought to keep Shabbos? You have to cook Friday. You have to worry about Borer. You have to worry about... Uh, we have to worry about all the Belechot of Shabbos. What's that got to do with the Kodesh Baruch making the world in six days and refraining on the second seven days? Nothing except that a Kodesh Baruch said, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Now you want a second guess? You could try. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Shabbos for us is this. All of these things, Siva and Mechika and Binyan, all of those things make Shabbos. Who said so? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said so. Could we have said so? I don't think so. Nobody would. Who would say such a thing? Who would say such a thing? You can play with Lego, you can't play with Lego. I mean, who would ever imagine that that is how you do with Shabbos? But uh, I guess it does. I guess it does. It has to do with what we call keeping Shabbos. Right? Making sure everybody knows that we're keeping Shabbos. The same thing is true about Ayin Tachad Ayin. You receive the Torah. So the Rambam so says, you're receiving the Torah. You're about to receive the Torah tomorrow. What do you have to know about the Torah? You have to know that the Torah is what Moshe Rabbeinu tells you it is. That's what the Torah is. And if you have a contradiction between what Moshe Rabbeinu says and what it seems to say in the Torah, like Ayat HaGadayin versus Momon, oh, it doesn't, it means that you have to take up the position of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what you have to know before you receive the Torah. If you don't know that, how are you going to receive the Torah? I mean, like, you know, you've got the whole thing wrong. You got the whole thing wrong. You read a post of Ayat HaGadayin, you think it means you should knock out the guy's eye. Wrong. <coughs> So that's what, that's what you had to know before you received the Torah. You had to know what the Torah was. And the Torah is in the interpretation of it. So why did the Torah write Ayat HaGadayin? And why is there a machlokin in the Gemara, whether it's Mamesh or whether it's Momon? Because Ayat HaGadayin also means something. It means midah connected midah. It's the un, uh, uh, it's the level of response that we cannot attain. But that doesn't mean that level of response doesn't exist. The level of response that we cannot attain is midah connected midah. That somehow we do to him what he wanted to do. Really, we really do it, but we can't do it. That's the that's the Rav Sadiago, the, the Rabbi of the Mordechai. They all agree that we can't do it. Yes. Wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> okay. You, you actually gave two reasons why we can't do Ayn Tachad Ayn 
Chateau. The second reason was was that it, it might affect the Selenol King and the person you do it to. Can you elaborate on that? Well, because uh, let's say you you have permission to do to him what he did to the other guy, but if you do something worse, so you're denying the Selenolo Kim. You can't just do it. You have to have permission to do it. You have to have permission. Nefesh tachad nefesh doesn't mean you can go around killing anybody you want, but in certain, which is why, let's say nefesh tachad nefesh. That's what it says in the pasuk, right? Now I'm a. I've in the past been accused of being a left winger, and that's because I am. But I don't want to talk about it. However, however, I would say, I would say that what the Torah wants you to do, what the Torah wants you to do is do what you have to do and yet respect the humanity of the other person. Now that's a very difficult thing. That's a very difficult thing. So it got morphed into a payment. Because that I can do. I can do it. It may hurt the person who has to pay, but he doesn't lose his dignity. He doesn't lose his humanity. He's not just, I'm not just killing him because he did something I don't like. Which we see in the, in the, in the world today is, um, you know, it happens sometimes, let's say. I'm not going to... More important, the second part, I understand what you said, that the second part is also important, namely that the reason it has to say is because it's the, it, the principle has to be stated because the principle is important even if we can't live that way we have to have it. Yeah, it could also be, yes. could have said Mamon's True, yeah. 100%, 100%, but it's also because because all punishment is based on some theoretical consideration, right? The, okay, it's too much, too much to get into, too much to get into. But I think, I think that this idea that Moshe Benu is coming to you with the Torah, that you have to understand that there's always Rashi. It's got to be Rashi. I mean, Rashi was invented by Moshe Rabbeinu. It's only, and Rashi himself only came along because there was a need. There was a need for Rashi. People did not understand the words properly. So they needed Rashi. So Rashi came along, and what Rashi did was actually integrate the tradition of interpretation in Chazal with the Psukim. He didn't change the Psukim. He didn't say there are new psukim that I want to write. He kept every, all the psukim intact, but he put in what we call Torah Shabal Peh. And Torah Shabal Peh is the interpretation of the Torah Shabal It's not a story or an agadat or a saying or, or anything of that kind. It is the real meaning of it. It's the real meaning of it. So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu had to prepare the day Yisrael to accept the Torah, but not just the Torah, but it had to be a function of Ayabinu Bashem of Moshe Avdo that Moshe somehow interpreted in the most legitimate fashion what God meant to tell us. And even when it seemed that that interpretation contradicts the literal meaning of the text, so the interpretation stands. 
And we have to ask ourselves, what is the literal meaning, what does the literal text come to teach us? It's like the, the question is turned around. Okay, have a good Shabbos. The what? The Machlokas in the Gemara, and one opinion says is serious and literal, and the other one says Mammon. How can that be a Machlokas that happens if throughout the history beforehand in every basin they had ruled that Nefesh was... Is it a purely theoretical argument? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's, it's uh, the Gemara gives us the impression that it's a machlokas, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just two opinions about the same thing, both of which are legitimate and accepted by both sides. In fact, a lot of learning, a lot of Gemara learning goes in that direction to try to show that the machlokas can be very limited to, so that each position would be more accepting of the other. We have instances where Moshe uh, doesn't do the right thing. Well, say again. We have instances where Moshe doesn't do the right thing, right? Yeah. So, uh, his, are you saying, though, that, his, that we have to accept the right or wrong historical interpretation is what we have to accept? Moshe Rabbeinu's interpretation. Yes, because... Yeah, that's, I think that was the idea. Because we know that he made certain mistakes in his life. Like what? What sort of mistakes do you mean? He hit the rock. He what? He hit the rock. Oh, oh. Yes, you could, you could make a, a leader could make a mistake about the hierarchy at the moment. Like what, what, what do you benefit from? Do you benefit from showing the people that you have devotion to the literal position or can you kind of move away and bring them back like the Horatia of Eliyahu Navi? This is always, a, this is always, it will always be a problem of, of leadership. Right, that sometimes the leader has to seem to deviate from the principles and try to do something else. But I don't think that Moshe Rabbeinu deviated from. I mean, this was a, a leadership question that you what you're talking about, hitting the rock or speaking <coughs> to the rock. Well, that's just the easiest example. I mean, he also the issue with Sipora and and the the yeah. Okay, so he made he made a mistake, but it wasn't about the Torah. It was about whether he should do this first or that first. He was he, he, he everybody could make a mistake, but uh, only Moshe Rabbeinu could receive the the fixed text because everybody else would only get the 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 text of words. Moshe Rabbeinu would get the text of interpretations. What you're saying is that what you once call like, it's reading down Torah with a big T, right? That's what just, you know, once in class, a lot of girls, you talked about that, right? Torah with a big T and Torah with a small T in a way that we're not talking only about squirrels, but it's reading down the whole Torah tradition here. That's what you mean, right? I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm prepared to agree with you. Uh -huh. But not too loud. <laughs> well, I'm just quoting you, so it's easier to oh. agree with me. <laughs> you should never do that. <laughs>